Jesus, thank you so much that you are the creator, the sustainer of all things. And so we come to you in reverence this evening to hear from your word. We long to draw close to your heart, Jesus, and to hear your voice. And so we pray this evening as uh, we come to look at Mark's gospel. Pray that you would fill us with your hope and your joy. And also show us more of what it is to be uh, kingdom builders. Amen. So our reading this evening is from Mark chapter 1. And it starts at verse 1. And we're going to read to verse 15. So it's Mark chapter 1 from 1 to 15. You have a moment to find your Bible or turn it on. Okay, Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the peoples of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Well, there sure is a lot of action right from the beginning, isn't there, in Mark? Over the next 10 Sundays leading up till Easter, we're going to be exploring Mark's portrayal of Jesus, the Messianic King. Mark is a fantastic storyteller and his gospel, as we've just heard, is action-packed. It's fast-paced and it's rich with this dramatic sense of urgency. It follows Jesus as he darts from exercising demons to healing cripples to feeding thousands, calming storms, turning tables, cursing fig trees. This is the Bourne trilogy, the James Bond, the mission impossible of the Gospels. 
if John is all Lord of the Rings and C.S. Lewis deep and poetic, Mark is the kind of bam, boom, pow. As Jesus pulls off the coolest, most impressive miracles almost in the nick of time, just before he's suddenly completely uh, somewhere else completely. This is kind of comic strip stuff, I guess. There's no fluff. Mark is producing for us an action movie. And alongside this supernatural action man, Jesus, we're going to meet some very ordinary characters as their lives are turned upside down. Their imaginations are stretched and what they first thought was possible is completely transformed. Mark records people's responses to what Jesus said and did, and he chooses events that uniquely give us an insight into Jesus' identity and also into his kingship. And so as we explore this gospel, we're going to ask with Mark, who is Jesus? What kind of king is he? And then a follow-up question, how should we respond to this king and his coming kingdom? So let's crack on with our passage then from this evening, Mark chapter one. Where does it all start, this action-packed gospel? Look down at the passage with me and it will help you to keep it open throughout uh, my sermon. Mark doesn't hang around, does he? Boom, we're in the desert and John the Baptist is preaching. You know, in James Bond, where you uh, get the opening chase scene, uh, perhaps it's an insight into uh, some evil schemes that have uh, been going on as a precursor to this film. Uh, and we get a kind of inside uh, inside view that's going to set up something later in the film before uh, the credits and that kind of iconic animations uh, roll. Um, and so Mark here, as his, uh, his kind of teaser, I guess, calls on Isaiah the prophet to set the scene for Jesus. And that itself is, is something. We're going to be looking at Isaiah a little bit in pastorates over the next couple of weeks. But uh, this chapter begins by talking about the land. Isaiah 40 starts by talking about the land, the mountains and the valleys and the plains the power of God to move and to shape the landscape in order to welcome, in order to usher in, to prepare the way for the Lord to come. And so what a significant moment then to introduce Jesus. How much does that say about who Jesus is? There's no uh, birth narrative here. There's no account of his carpentry report card from school or uh, information about how his mother is. Just straight to it. The beginning of Jesus' ministry. And John the Baptist's words, repent. And then Jesus' words, the kingdom of God has come near. John the Baptist says, there is one coming who is greater than I. Be ready. And Jesus enters the scene. Presumably, he just looks like another person from within the crowds, nothing special. Until when he's baptised, heaven is torn open and this voice comes and speaks over him. There's so much drama already, just, in, uh, just right at the, at the beginning. So much drama. We've hardly had time, have we, to uh, get comfy in our seats or uh, get the popcorn out before suddenly God is speaking. <laughs> After 400 years, 
The Jews haven't heard from God, remember. They haven't heard his voice for 400 years. Suddenly, in the opening verses, God is speaking. And so why does Mark start his gospel, his account of Jesus, like this? What is he trying to tell us from the get-go about who Jesus is and what his mandate is, I guess? In politics, we talk about the first 100 days, don't we, um, of someone's leadership or of their premiership. How they start is significant. It tells us uh, about what kind of leader they're going to be and what they're going to prioritise. We're all kind of on the edge of our seats, uh, waiting for uh, Biden and Harris to get started and what they're going to prioritise in their first 100 days. We suspect that it's going to be around the coronavirus and getting that under control in the US, but we're, we're waiting, aren't we? Because the way that they act in these first 100 days will show us what they are going to prioritise in their premiership. And so by starting here in Jesus' first 100 days, if you like, Mark wants to tell us that Jesus means business. He's not come to schmooze with the religious leaders. He's not a messiah of riches or he's not even um, an underdog who comes through to be kind of an unexpected success. No, Mark is all about Jesus, the king. Jesus, the king, who is going to bring God's kingdom to earth. Track with me then uh, back to the Old Testament. So you know that I love to do this and to find the parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're going to go back to the beginning of the book of Joshua. Moses has just died and he's handed the mantle of leadership onto our guy Joshua. And God tells Joshua that he is the one who's going to lead the Israelites out of the wilderness where they've been wandering around since uh, they left Egypt. And Joshua will lead them out, go through the Jordan and into the promised land. Listen then to these promises that God makes to Joshua in chapter one, verse three. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will expand from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Wow. God is giving Joshua this mandate to conquer, to take the land and to settle there and to live in the Lord's favour. God's people in God's place living under God's rule. Flick forward then just a couple of chapters to Joshua chapter four. And the people have come across the Jordan River. The priests have gone in ahead of the people with the Ark of the Covenant, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And everyone passes through onto dry land. The Jordan then, passing through the Jordan, is where the promised land begins. And so where is Jesus at the beginning of his ministry? This is so cool. Bingo. He's in the Jordan River. 
He's being baptised in the Jordan. He's coming through the Jordan to take the promised land. Jesus has come to conquer the powers, the rulers of this world, to put an end to oppression and death and to lead us into God's presence. Isn't this just so cool? These parallels are so, I love the Bible. It's, it's so great. <laughs> Even Jesus' name, I can't apologize to you at all. Uh, I've, I've taken you through this Hebrew before at the 6.30, but it is so good. We have to keep going through these things just to let them sink really deeply into our hearts. Even Jesus' name says what carries what his mission is, doesn't it? Jesus is an Aramaic name for Yeshua, which comes from the longer Hebrew name Yehoshua, which means Yahweh saves, God saves. But if you keep digging and we discover that the root word of Yehoshua is the Hebrew word for salvation, which means Yasha, which is Yasha, which means to be led into a wide open space, a wide open space the promised land. And so we're going to see that throughout this gospel, that Jesus masters all the powers of this world, the weather, the demons, sickness, and even death, to bring us hope, to bring us peace, to bring us reconciliation, those things that God has promised, to live in that place, where those promises are true, so that we might see, so that we might dwell in the restoration of all things. We might dwell constantly in God's promise and in his presence. It's, it's really cool. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great 10 weeks in Mark's gospel. I'm very, very excited. Just on this theme then of Joshua and this generation of people who passed through the Jordan into the promised land, I'm confident actually that as we surface from this pandemic that we're living in at the moment with lockdowns and tears and all these different things, I'm confident that there will be hearts and minds to be one for Christ. People who are desperate for meaning and purpose. There will be land places, situations that we can step into, that we can occupy with God's presence. I've been reading uh, Barack Obama's uh, new book, uh, it's called A Promised Land, no points for uh, seeing the connections there. Um, fantastic book, it's pretty meaty, but it's it's worth it's worth reading, definitely. Um, and in the early parts of um, Obama's campaigning for president, um, a friend and a pastor, a guy called uh, Reverend Otis Moss, who had walked the civil rights movement, rubbed shoulders with people like Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Rosa Parks, had been an advisor to President Jimmy Carter. He spoke to Obama and he said this. This is a, this is a paraphrase. You are the Joshua generation. I'm the Moses generation. We fought for our rights and we've won battles. But now it's time for you to move in and take the lands that we have won. Bring the change which our hard work has made possible. And Obama talks about this as the encouragement and the inspiration that he needed to step out boldly, 
to believe that even as a black man, he could hold the most powerful office in the world. This is something that he writes about. This is his own thought process, his weighing, his mulling. You are the Joshua generation. And so I think there's something for us in there. Let us be the Joshua generation in this place at this time. People who build the kingdom of God here, who show people that there is a better way, that there is life in all its fullness. The promised land where we dwell in God's presence and his promise. We dwell in all that has been fulfilled in Jesus. Life following Jesus. I hear you saying, great, this is great. You know, we love the parallels in the Bible theory. Brilliant, give us more. But what about tomorrow? What about Monday morning? Back to Zoom, back to the meetings, back to the paper pushing. I don't know, whatever you do. Where does that leave us here in the middle of lockdown? Ducking and diving perhaps between homeschooling, keeping up with friends and family, keeping food in the fridge, keeping our tummies full but not fat. It's quite difficult, isn't it? It's, yeah, ongoing. I think this gospel calls for us to start with two things. And I think they both emanate from both our Mark passage and also this parallel that we've been looking at in Joshua. The first is confession. The second is covenant. So first, confession. Uh, Adrian spoke last week on uh, Hebrews chapter 12, the beginning of it, on things that might slow us down or stop us from running this race of life with Jesus. Things that so easily entangle us, Hebrews says, that trip us up or break our focus. Things that are sinful, but also things that just distract us and take our focus elsewhere. And there's a reason why uh, John the Baptist begins with calling people to repent in our, in our Mark uh, passage. Look at verse seven with me. Repent because you are about to meet Jesus, one who is greater than me. John wants the people to be ready to meet Jesus. He wants them to be pure and blameless in Jesus's presence. So this week, how have you got on with getting rid of those things that are slowing you down? How have you got on? Have you blocked the website? Have you said sorry and pursued reconciliation where you needed to? How has your anger been this week? Has your speech been pure? Bring those things that are holding you back before Jesus in confession. We all need mercy and help. We all have those things that are holding us back. None of us are sinless. We all need to bring those things before Jesus. But if you know that there is something that is holding you back at the moment from giving your all to Jesus, bring that to him in confession. It will be our life's work, won't it, to keep ourselves in check. But God promises that the Holy Spirit will wash over us every time, every time we come to him and ask for forgiveness, every time we ask him, every time we say sorry. God's forgiveness and his power will wash over us again and again, just like the waves of the Jordan River, just like in baptism, we will be washed clean. Just as we ask God, will it be given to us? His forgiveness is never ending. 
So if for whatever reason you haven't taken those steps that you were inspired to take last week, then let this be a reminder to throw off those things that hold you back from fixing your eyes on Jesus. Do it this week. And so confession, secondly, covenant. We've talked uh, about, uh, uh, yeah, we've talked about confession and Jesus comes up out of the water and God speaks over Jesus, affirming him for his ministry that lies ahead. This moment of Jesus' baptism is marked by God, marked by God speaking. And so as the Israelites also come through the Jordan in Joshua 4, look at the verse 4, Joshua 4, 4. Joshua tells the leaders, one from each of the different tribes, to go and to find stones and to build them into a monument, to serve as a reminder of what God has done for them who he was to them, what he has, uh, how he had blessed them, their sovereign, their sustainer, their liberator. Joshua calls them to mark this moment. And so my challenge to you this week, whether uh, in your household or just you on your own, every time you go for a walk this week, pick up a stone or a stick and as you walk think of or talk about together how God has been faithful to you what are the good things that he has given you how has he come through for you and at the end of the walk maybe collect them together I was thinking actually that if they're stones maybe don't put them together close to a window because that's that's just bad isn't it um but make a monument out of those things that you've collected whether they're stones or sticks or something else make a monument to remind you of God's goodness and his faithfulness uh there's a um maybe a picture just coming um last February I went to Wales on retreat and I built for myself uh what we're talking about it looks just like a pile of stones um but it's uh the Scottish call them cairns um, and if for every stone I picked up on the beach I named uh, a situation or a moment or people uh, where I had seen God's faithfulness over the last year it took about an hour to build always the sea drawing closer and closer until as I stepped back the waves washed in around it I guess was my kind of own sense of affirmation, really. God saying, yes, that he was there in it all. And collecting uh, these and going through this discipline of recalling God's faithfulness is about remembering who God is, how powerful he is, how full of mercy he is, how strong he has been, and marking it and using that as our foundation for going forward. This same God will take us forward into a new land with all the ups and downs that will come with that. He has been faithful and he will be faithful. And so here at the beginning of Mark's gospel, in the light of Joshua and all that we know that Jesus is going to lead us into, how he is going to fulfill the promises of God. Let's start in confession. Let's start in covenant, praying that God would use us to build his kingdom here on earth in this place 
and at this time. Amen.